Hi, I'm Larry Reed, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and I have a guest today with me, Hunter Hastings. Hunter Hastings is the executive director of the Center for Individualism, which advocates for individual entrepreneurship and self-reliance, and he's a member of the Mises Institute. He is the author, co-authored with Jeff Saperstein, of The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI, Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges, that's the topic of the book, and it's also the topic of our conversation today. Hunter, thanks for joining us. Hi, Doug. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So we've had several episodes, uh, several guests on in previous episodes to talk about the future, to talk about what what's coming down the pike and what should we expect in the economy, what should we expect with respect to things like artificial intelligence and, you know, everybody has their own sort of take on it. But one of the things that was really great about your book is that this was co- sort of directed at individuals to sort of guide them, prepare them a little bit better for for the future. The future is unpredictable. And I think we all have this sort of vague sense of awareness that we might be unable to adapt if we don't pay attention. And I think your book helps us pay attention a bit. We're very much focused on the opportunity for individuals, and we're optimists, and uh, we think there are, there are great things ahead. So that that's kind of the uh, approach that we took. Yeah, well, it, it has a sort of energetic perspective about the future. Uh, you know, it's not a warning. You know, at the beginning of the book, I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, you're, like, really optimistic, and you're, there's, some, there's an energy to the opportunities and it sort of it, it, your your entrepreneurial spirit shows <laughs> in your writings, uh, as it were. Um, and you know, in the book itself, it's more practical. You do talk about some of the abstract things that are coming coming down the pike, but uh, it, it definitely is for someone who's like, uh, how do I navigate these waters? So tell us a little bit about how how did the book come about? You mentioned you know at the beginning there, there's kind of a backstory to the book coming coming to be. Well, yes, I'll I'll go back a few steps, Doug. My academic track has been economics, and especially Austrian economics, which your listeners will be familiar with. And that's very much focused on uh, the individual and the individual's role in the economy and uh, consumer sovereignty and, and all of the things that your, uh, your listeners will be familiar with. My professional track has been marketing, and I see those two converging. And in 2004, there was a very influential article in the Journal of Marketing uh, called Evolving a New Dominant Logic. And what that meant was a service dominant logic, that a lot of the thinking in both economics and in marketing had been about goods. People buy stuff, firms manufacture stuff and distribute stuff about goods. But 80% of the economy... Uh, back then, and probably a higher number now, is so I started doing research in that area, and it resulted in a book in 2014 called Service Thinking, uh, which was which was focused on this whole area of of service and service systems. 
And then uh, studying under an organization called ICIP, the International Society for Service Innovation Professionals, if you can believe that acronym, uh, and a fellow called Jim Spora, who's at IBM and, and was the editor of the, the book series. We started looking, what does service mean in the future when a lot of it is digital? You can get your service from Siri or Alexa or, or uh, Amazon or, or Whole Foods delivery and, and all of those kinds of things. What does that mean in the future if service is not people to people, but is digital to people? And so that changed a lot of perspectives about about service systems. Service systems are organizations of people, knowledge, and technology that can deliver a value proposition. And now an individual can architect their own service system. They can be a service system or they can be part of a bigger service system. So that's what led to the idea of the interconnected individual. You have an interesting perspective on what it means to be, I guess, a definition of the individual in the interconnected era. There's there's some features or characteristics of the individual that might be a little bit uh, more than what we kind of think of an individual today, especially as libertarians. We think of individuals as, you know, the self-made man or, you know, sometimes in extremes, you know, the person who just says, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. Those are a lot of uh, poor uh, ways of describing the individual and you you say that the individual in the future or even today is is something very different from those modern notions well i go back uh to hayek who i think is very influential in his thinking in this in this whole area and in his famous 1945 speech that was called uh, individualism true and false he has a statement that says that individualism is a social system and what he means by that is it's based on private property. The individual has private property and he's free to use that private property as the best he or she can to serve others. And he or she accepts the feedback of the marketplace as to whether their best efforts were, are welcomed and rewarded and accepts the rewards of the marketplace. So I think that's a principle of uh, an individual embedded in society. It's it's the basis of Hayek's idea of spontaneous order. And what the book says is that today, interconnection enables us to much more fully realize that vision of individualism as a social system or embedded in a social system. So a big part of, of uh, the social system that Hayek envisages are based on the exchange of knowledge and individuals having specialized knowledge. He called it the knowledge of time and place. Today, we can get that knowledge uh, from the internet or from Syria, or from Google or wherever we want to get it, but we can get all the knowledge we want where we have access to it. We can develop specialized skills based on that knowledge and on our own efforts to, uh, to create value. And we can engage in exchange as real individual specialists. There's a, there's a great image in a book by Stephen Strogatz. He called it sync. Uh, he's a mathematician. And that was his word for spontaneous order. Uh, and it's this, this is great picture, if I can describe it to you. 
of a a flock, a gathering of uh, of uh, fireflies, and eventually they all flash on and off together. They all sink. Now, how does this happen? Doesn't it doesn't start that way. It eventually evolves that way. And he comes up with this idea of uh, coupled oscillators. That's two fireflies next to each other. And one flashes on and one's not flashing at the same time. And somehow a signal goes between them and they each adjust. One flashes earlier, one flashes later, and eventually they get in sync. And eventually that happens all over the flock, if that's the right word for a bunch of fireflies. And I always thought of that as the buyer and the seller in the, uh, in the individual economy, in the individual marketplace. We each are collaborating with each other, and then that builds up into the economy. It builds up into prices. It builds up into supply and demand and, and all of those things. So we can just do that better today. With interconnectivity, we can connect to knowledge, resources, and people on an unlimited basis we can create our own special speciality. We can create our own curated knowledge, which is different from anybody else's. And then we can trade and exchange for that uh, on a global basis. So I think uh, it's not a new idea of individualism. It's the old idea. Uh, but one of the terms we use for AI is augmented individualism. The individual is highly augmented today by these new technologies. I think it's tough for people to realize or you just have to sort of reflect how augmented our current reality, you know, really is. You know, we think of augmented reality right now because there's kind of this the the, the bleeding edge of the of the technological realm is, you know, we use vision to augment what we see in the real world, yet we're the, the tools that we use every day and technology that we use, it's augmenting us already and we've already been doing that. Um, you know, you you and I are being augmented, you know, in, in communication here, there's, there's all kinds of automation stuff, <laughs> uh, automated stuff going on, uh, in the way right. that we're communicating through email, automatic things. Um, so I, I, I appreciated your perspective in that we, we need to embrace the kinds of tools that will augment our abilities as humans. Yeah, and embrace and uh, enthusiastically seize, I would, I would say. So you're right, there's so many of them, and it's, it uh, behooves us to know what they are, how we can best use them as individuals, curate them for ourselves, build our own service system, but, but do it proactively based on our own values and our own understanding of ourselves and where we want to fit in and where we want to contribute do it proactively as opposed to passively. Yeah. I mean, you, part of the purpose of your book, and I'll just quote it, it's to help people navigate a global marketplace with, quote, greater autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And that, that mastery aspect is, I think, what might feel a little scary because everybody in my generation, um, I'm not quite 40, and everybody you know around my generation, I would say, has, has experienced the shift from traditional, here's how you master subjects to, we know there's a new paradigm coming and the youth are probably going to enter that a lot more, uh, more comfortably. Uh, but mastery, I would say is almost a little bit scary because it, it means embracing it in a way that was different. I didn't master things in school the way I'm going to master the skills I need to succeed in the future. 
Yeah, we uh, we frankly stole those terms, greater autonomy, mastery, and purpose from uh, Daniel Pink's book about motivation. It's why uh, people, uh, or it's how people seek better lives. It's uh, self-direction, which is the autonomy part. People like to be self-directed, not think that they're being directed by external forces or somebody else in a hierarchy. I would call mastery uh, better skills, which is less intimidating than your know, mastery sounds like the the top of the mountain and, and it <laughs> takes you all the time to get there. But it's, it's improving your skills actively uh, at all times. And then purpose is the desire for meaning, obviously. And if we, if we're self-directed and we apply our skills, we can, we can find that meaningful life. And so in this service system concept where I can connect to knowledge, that means I have the resources for mastery of something, some subject that I, that I choose, that I can uh, add to my skills at all times. I can develop a specialty. I think one of the things we'll find happening, Doug, is we get narrower and narrower in our skills. The goal is to be unique. And so how do I find that uniqueness? How do I identify that? It's a very challenging kind of idea, but that's what we seek. And then we interconnect that uniqueness to everybody else. So mastery never stops. Uh, if you didn't master it at school, don't worry about it. Keep learning now. And uh, I always tell everybody that you should have a account on GitHub. 80% of the uh, code that's been written in artificial intelligence is on GitHub. And you can open a free account and you can browse around there and you'll go in and look at it. And if you're like me, you'll have no idea what they're talking about, but you can dig into it. You can connect to other people. You can download something. You can see if you can make it work and you can develop some particular skill set that way. So Mastery is something you do for life. You keep seeking your uniqueness and you keep adding to your skills and knowledge and capabilities as you go on. And it's a, you know, it's a Zen-like idea. You never get there, but, but just keep going. Keep adding to your mastery. Well, and you can find meaning along the way. I mean, it, we, we live in a world where <laughs> we, can find, we, can, we can seek mastery or improving our abilities uh, in ways that we find meaningful. I mean, I shifted from a full-time job in one sector of the economy, and I'm doing something completely different right now, as well as uh, being part of LCI. And it's because I find meaning in the kind of things, in the kinds of things that I, that I do. And I was able to, you know, kind of pivot my, pivot my skills uh, and so the, you know, you use a term, uh, in the book I had never heard before, uh, and maybe you came up with it. I'm not sure is upskilling. Can you tell our audience what, what is upskilling? Well, it's exactly what, uh, what we've just been talking about. It's, it's looking at the outside world. It's assessing what kind of skills are needed. And if you're a good entrepreneur, what kind of skills are going to be needed in the future, and then finding ways to augment yourself to, to achieve that level. Uh, we didn't invent the word upskilling. Uh, it comes from the, uh, the certification area where you can, these days, you can get uh, certifications and digital badges and, and so on. Upskilling is, is meant to indicate to others that 
I've reached this level, I've reached these skills. But from a subjective basis, it's constantly adding to your capabilities. Don't, don't ever stop learning, don't ever stop adding to your skills. And if you wanna develop the, the badges and the certifications that tell the outside world what progress you're making, that might well be useful to you. That's a way of being interconnected. Uh, but it's adding to your skills and capabilities at all times. Don't ever be intimidated. Don't ever feel inadequate. Don't ever feel that you can't attain a certain level. You can. And there are a billion people out there trying to help you. That sounds exhausting, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you it's advise not- for people who hear that and say, really, can I just specialize in one thing and, and just do that for the rest of my life? That sounds better. Well, certainly you can you can upskill in one thing, but you can't stand still. That's the one thing that you can't do in this this dynamically changing world. And the Austrian economic economics recognizes that it's the Austrian economics uh, system is a dynamic system. If you go back to your textbooks, Austrians don't believe in equilibrium, which is static. We believe in in dynamic. So every individual has got to be dynamic. No, it's not exhausting. It's exhilarating. The possibilities and opportunities are are tremendous. So we say, know yourself. The I subscribe to this, uh, what, what, another lousy uh, term, piece of terminology, the uh, effectual path to entrepreneurship, which is understanding yourself first, as opposed to trying to find a solve a problem to solve or a market to serve understand yourself and the the standard questions in that uh, in that terminology are who am i so you got to be able to answer that question pretty well who do i know and what do i know and then i'll figure out how to use those resources to uh, to go out and build my career or build my business or build my pathway whatever i decide so it's not exhausting it's dynamic Okay, so I I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little friendly pushback on that, um, and I know that sounds kind of weird because I don't know if that's really <laughs> that that's I'll just say it this way. Well, okay, that sounds invigorating to you. You're an entrepreneur, and there are many people out there who are entrepreneurs. But can we all be entrepreneurial? I mean, I guess in some regards we all have to be in a in a very limited way, even if we don't run our own businesses or anything like that. But it just sounds too easy to be like, oh, well, it's just invigorating because it's invigorating to you, but that you know, maybe that doesn't apply to everybody. What do, what do you, what do they, what do they need to take away from, you know, the, the fact that they, they have skills, but they're not, they don't consider themselves entrepreneurs. Maybe they are and they don't know it. Yeah. A lot of that is uh, terminology, Doug. Uh, Jesus Huerta de Soto, the Spanish economist says that entrepreneurship is normal human action. And that is that We all have empathy to some extent or other. We can use that empathy to observe a need in others. And then the entrepreneurial action is imagining the future where that need is solved. I've helped somebody and bringing it to the market over time to to make that assistance uh, practical, to implement it. And so he said that's normal human action. It's what Uh, parents do for their kids by giving them education. They're imagining a future when the kid is educated and will will have a better life. Or we do it when we grow vegetables in the garden because we imagine feeding our family in in the future. So he takes that point of view that entrepreneurship is normal human action. So we're all entrepreneurial and we should all 
cultivate that idea. Entrepreneurship in the economy is is uh, making money doing that, uh, is imagining the future and and rearranging resources to bring a service to the economy that are to other people that will be rewarded and you'll you'll make money. And so in the book, there's this concept of the individual economy. And that's our point about uh, everybody being an entrepreneur. Figure out your own values, figure out your, your uh, network, who you know, and then decide where you're going to fit in. And you could work for a corporation. You could plan a long career where you work for a corporation first and then you you start a business. Most uh, startups in the USA are started by people in their 40s after they've learned something in, uh, in the corporate world. Or maybe you want to be an independent entrepreneur from scratch. Or maybe you want to join uh, somebody else's team and contribute your services to uh, a team effort because uh, you don't want to be the CEO leader. There's lots of ways to contribute and fit in entrepreneurially, but you're always thinking about where is my life going? Where do I want it to go? And how am I going to figure out what I can do that I love and what I can do that I get paid for? That's, that's entrepreneurship. And, uh, it's not hard work. It's just, it's just focused and not being dependent because, there's going to be no place for being dependent in the future. We've all got to have this autonomy and mastery that we talk about. All right. I think you convinced me there. I think the terminology <laughs> terminology might be a little <laughs> uh, an important aspect. Well, I mean, you bring up the idea of, you know, looking at the world around you and having this sort of social awareness uh, about what, what to, you know, what's going on and how can people see you as valuable to them and, and get paid to do the work. Uh, what, what does it take to have a social awareness other than just, Oh, I want to do what I love. I mean, there's more to it than that. Right. Yeah. We talk in the, uh, the book about, about four areas of development. Uh, we call it engage, explore, combine, and orchestrate. So engaging means you've got to, you've got to connect with others. This the, the whole point about interconnection is you've got to initiate. And it, you know, it's very easy today. I just mentioned Jesus Huerta de Soto. I, I found a way to, to get him on email and he responded. So that's, that's an amazing thing to me. That's about engaging, connecting to others. And I'm an introvert. I'm, a, I'm an INTJ on the uh, Myers-Briggs typology and introverts don't do that sort of stuff. But you got to apply some energy to, to doing that. So you got to engage. You've got to explore. Where is this knowledge? Which knowledge do I want? How am I going to curate my own set of knowledge? Combine. That's a big part of entrepreneurship and innovation is just combining stuff that's already out there. And you see something that person A has done and you see something that person B has done. You find a way to combine those two things together. That's another way to uh, – to find your niche is, is a combination of things. And then the biggest skill of all, if you can do it, not everyone is going to be able to do that, is to orchestrate. So you've got all these connections. You've got all this knowledge. How can I be the one who is the catalyst for all of that to uh, flow together and, and uh, all of those resources to be used in the most efficient way? That's a real challenge. But the skill of orchestration is a very important one. And that's very human. That doesn't need you to be 
a technologist. It doesn't need to be an expert. It's a role. And so I think those are the kinds of things that uh, that individuals should be looking at in this. How do I build my individual economy? Yeah, thank you. I, I agree with that uh, outlook and and what you what you're saying. Uh, what what do you see on the horizon with respect to institutions? Um, and you, you mentioned it kind of earlier in this conversation about there's not going to be as much hierarchy. Uh, that seems a little foreign to a lot of us where we all have bosses, although I'm sure we've heard the, you know, this, these other stories of places like Zappos. And I think Google does a little bit of a little bit more uh, holistic uh or maybe not be holistic holacracy or something like that, mm-hmm. where yeah. there's where there's a different way of getting getting work done um, that doesn't involve you know a, a tiered reality. How how are institutions going to be different? It's a really good question, Doug, and I don't think anybody can be definitive about it. Um, I go back to Hayek again, who said that institutions emerge. And they emerge as a result of human behavior as opposed to human design. Uh, And actually, that phrase goes back to Adam Ferguson, who was a predecessor of Adam Smith. So it's been it's been known for a long time. And the problem that uh, society has had in the intervening 300 years, whatever it is, is that we've tried to design institutions and hierarchy. A lot of that came out of. Uh, military history. If if you're going to send a soldier into the trenches or to face the oncoming infantry of your uh, enemy, you need a hierarchy. So you got generals at the top to tell everybody through the hierarchy levels that someone's got to go get killed. And that was a useful form of organization for a long time. A new form of organization will emerge. I don't think anybody can uh, tell you exactly what it is, but uh, one form of it is networking. So networks are not hierarchical. They're, they're uh, horizontal and connected. There are some nodes that are stronger than others. And you know, a lot of uh, science of network effects that we're just beginning to learn. And then this idea of service systems. And a service system is, uh, it can be small, like a family or a neighborhood or a uh, a small company of 10 people. And then that's nested inside a bigger service system. Um, so I live in a little community uh, called Rancho Santa Fe here. We have our own uh, fire department and our own police and our own schools and so on like that. Um, but we can't fight the wildfires that might come uh, as a result of the California uh, climate and, and other things going on here. And so we nest into the biggest service system of of Cal Fire uh, that helps us with that. And then Sempra Energy that has the helicopters, which will uh, which will drop the water and kill the fires and so on like that. And that somehow that nested system of uh, my primary contact is in a small service system, but that's embedded in a larger service system. And that's embedded in a larger service system than that for whatever purpose we're trying to, to achieve is that's that's the future. And I, it, it, it will evolve. Money, money is a great example of an institution like this. The, the money institution we have now is designed. It's centrally planned. It's a monopoly of the government. And again, going back to my favorite author, Hayek, he wrote about uh, competing private monies uh, many, many years ago. I'm not sure how long ago, but uh, 
you know, maybe in the 30s or something like that. I'm not sure, but a long time ago. He had no idea that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency would eventually evolve. But his vision was, if it's not a monopoly, we'll have lots of competing private monies. And one of them will be the one that people trust and that will that will emerge. So now we have what I call uh, institutional innovation. Somebody invented a new money. That's great. Somebody will invent a new way to run government. I personally uh, supported an initiative here in Southern California called the Neighborhood Legislature. So in California, we have 80 uh, assembly members and 40 senators for about 40 million people. So we have one senator per million people, let's say. And the neighborhood legislature would increase the representation level by 100. So we have 4,000 senators, one for every 10,000 people. And that will be more local. The representation will be better. We didn't succeed in getting it uh, adopted, but something like that will emerge. So uh, that's a very long answer to your question about what will happen to institutions. We'll invent new ones, and they'll run in parallel with the old ones until they prove themselves better. But it will be all based, I think, on individualism, decentralization, and uh, privatization of institutions. Well, that long answer actually helps me segue into the next question. So that's great. <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> you, you, you brought up blockchain uh, or you brought up Bitcoin and alter, alter, alternative currencies, uh, you know, but I'll, I'll make a comment on what you just said there that the, the emerging technologies and methods and institutions will show the, demonstrate themselves superior over time running parallel to the old ones. And, you know, I've kind of always had that sort of outlook on how do how do libertarians win the day uh it's not really about winning the day it's more about winning the century and that eventually the state's mechanisms will become obsolete because people don't need them anymore um or or they'll they maybe maybe be an option but you know we're here to we're, we're here to innovate a better a better more peaceful world um so yeah i like i like that outlook so you, you do talk a little bit about the blockchain um i i think it's pretty common i think most libertarians kind of know this but i think in general a lot of people think of bitcoin as like oh it's just a currency but it's more to it than that uh but what, what what's your perspective on on bitcoin blockchain uh digital currency any of those things well there's a lot of uh, thinkers uh good, smart, intelligent thinkers who believe that blockchain is actually uh, a bigger innovation than artificial intelligence or the internet or any of these other great uh, stair steps that we're negotiating. And the big reason for that is, uh, to use your term, institutional, that it disintermediates, that on the blockchain, you can privately and securely transact without the need for a middleman. And in our book, we, we highlight uh, that in financial services. And in fact, there's a, um, a two-column comparison between what financial services feel like today and what financial services will feel like tomorrow on the, on the blockchain. And, um, you know, right now, financial services are expensive, and they tell us they're all the experts, and we don't know anything, and <laughs> we have to follow all the, all the rules and, and, and so on. And on blockchain, that'll be... Entirely different. So Bitcoin or one of the other cryptocurrencies, private money, is, is one way that, bit, that the blockchain will be implemented. Another one that I love a lot is there's a lot of musicians 
who are starting to uh, publish their songs and their music on the blockchain. And you wrap a smart contract around that. And so anybody wants to transact, i.e. listen to it, will pay you some micro payment for that. And your intellectual property uh, becomes a, a money flow. And the word that Don Tapscott used in describing that was uh, a song becomes a business. And that's a beautiful idea because a lot of the musicians I know, they feel like they're ripped off by the, uh, the institution of the music industry, that they don't get properly paid, that it's the music industry executives and corporations who make all the money and the poor uh, individual musician is, is uh, trying to scrape together a living. So one of the promises of the blockchain is, is something like that, that individuals who have a creative skill and it could be writing, you know, Steemit has tried to create a market for, for writing, um, or it could be a musician, it could be a song through blockchain, which is uh, a fast, ridiculously cheap, secure, and world distributed technology can turn my songs into a business. That That's a beautiful vision. So I'm, I'm very positive about the potential for blockchain. And the way you'll find out is exactly like that. Musicians who experiment and they try to figure out a way to do it. No one's going to invent it. No one's going to centrally plan it. People will figure it out. And that's that's the whole point about the interconnected future. Yeah, it also makes micropayments more, you know, the more blockchain becomes an alternate currency embraced by or embraced by many people, it makes micropayments an option for things that we would rather, you know, for example, things like I think it's the Washington Post. I don't really want to subscribe to the Washington Post, but like once or twice a month, I'd like to read an article. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I if somehow that browsing experience was tied to the blockchain and my Bitcoin account, where it basically just charged the the, the essence of maybe five ten cents, um, more and more people would actually flock to it, and they would actually get revenue per article rather than like subscriptions. And I don't know, it just cuts out that that middleman of subscription model and, and all that kind of stuff. So the, yep, it's, exactly. I'm, not su- I'm not surprised about the, the musician thing. It's that's, that's wonderful. I, uh, I was not aware of that in that particular manifestation of micropayments, but that's, that's great. Love to hear the, uh, hear about that. Yeah. And remember we, we always overestimate the short term impact of technology and we, we underestimate the long term impact. People started talking about micropayments, I know, 10 or 15 years ago, and and it's the future, it's just coming, and it never did. But 15 years later, now it is. It's starting to build up, and eventually they'll get to a, a tipping point. So yeah. uh, that that's the other element of Austrian economics, which is important to always remember, which is long-term thinking. It may take longer than you think, but we'll get there. Yeah. So you are the head of an organization called the Center for Individualism. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? I, I came across Center for Individualism, I would say like middle of last year, and I get your, I think, daily emails. Um, and you have like a weekly thought starter. There's there's just a whole lot of material there. Uh, but tell our listeners about, about the organization. Well, it's a, it's a very small foundation at the, the moment that I started a, a couple of years ago. So it's trying to uh, communicate and 
to a certain extent evangelize for this idea of self-reliance and, and individualism exactly along the lines that we've been been talking about. So right now it's a content site. I'm trying to curate content and I write some original content that's trying to uh, communicate that message and, and start the positive ideas around individualism. And where I'd like to take it is this idea of everybody can be an entrepreneur. And I'm trying to figure out actually, Doug, the right way to do that. I'm thinking it's it's going to be educational. Um, I do some work with uh, with Connor Boyack at Libertas with his Tuttle Twins series. I don't know whether you're familiar with oh, that. Yes. But it's, yeah. So they're beautiful um, illustrated books for kids that teach them economic principles and the principles of free markets and and libertarianism. And uh, so one, I'm going to be talking to Connor about how we can expand that effort. I've launched a podcast called Economics for Entrepreneurs, which uh, is on the platform of the Mises Institute, but is also on all the other podcast platforms. And that's intended to be educational as well. And uh, furthering the idea of everyone can be an entrepreneur. And that vision is you got to know the laws of economics to be a good entrepreneur. So let us uh, let us show you some of those. So Center for Individualism is is a content site at the moment, but I'd, I'd like to make it into an educational site in the future. Excellent. Well, Hunter, thank you for being uh, part of our podcast. Uh, the, the book is called The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI Platforms, Apps and Global Exchanges. Uh, you can get it. I think uh, you can get it on Amazon and uh, I'm sure you can get it in a number of other places. Thanks for thanks for giving us this conversation. I think it's really important for us to engage the future um, instead of just talking about abstract ideas. So I very much appreciate your your contribution. Good. Well, I, I do think it's important to be optimistic. I think the the fear mongering about uh, AI is um, is is detrimental. I mean, there's always harms in new technologies, and it's good to know what they could be so that we can avoid going down that path. But the reason they emerge is because they are opportunities. They're a way for people to achieve betterment. And I think the big idea that we've talked about for the, the last few minutes is that people can self-engage in that betterment. They can seize that betterment. They can think in terms of what's the opportunity this, this brings to me. So um, I, hope, uh, I hope we can communicate that message. And thanks, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Well, you are welcome. I think, I think we have. And uh, people can continue uh, by, reading, by reading the book and get a, get a deeper dive. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group. You are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Mm-hmm.